Hello, and welcome to the Friday edition of the Upper Bowl GM podcast. It is Nick Sararis, very special guest today, making his third appearance. He is the leader in the clubhouse for most appearances thus far. LeVance will be here in a minute to talk about his beloved Manchester United. But before we get to the fun part, do got to talk a little bit about the housekeeping, as those of us who do this kind of thing like to call it. Please help grow the show any means you can. Wherever you are listening to this, if you're on Apple, if you're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Audio Boom, whatever platform you're using, please hit the little subscriber follow button. If you're on Apple Podcasts, go down to the page where it has all of the episodes on it. Scroll all the way to the bottom. There are going to be five clear stars. Hit the one furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. If you're so inclined, please leave a written comment in the right review box. It would mean a lot. It would help. And now that I've talked about the boring part, just as a little flavor, Manchester United is one of the most iconic clubs in European soccer. Went through one of the great eras dynastically from the early 90s when the modern Premier League was founded in 1992 till about 2010 was their golden era. They won 35-ish trophies, multiple FA Cups, two Champions Leagues, ungod number of Premier Leagues with world-class players and Sir Alex Ferguson, one of the best football managers to ever manage soccer, a soccer team. Uh, it doesn't really get better than what United was for, for about a 20-year window, which is pretty crazy to think about. So now you're in that post-dynastic period where a team, it didn't really gradually fall off. It was just one year, Fergie said, all right, this is my last year. And after he left, the team kind of just, it fell off a cliff. and there were a few years there where they really just threw money at the problem, brought in some overpaid players. They've slowly but surely started to right their ship. They've incorporated some younger talent, a little less expensive. This is going to be a fun episode, only the second soccer episode of the podcast. So I will see you guys in one second with Levance. Marcus Rashford electing to keep hold, electing to shoot. And getting the deflection and getting the winner. And with that, I welcome on now three-time guest, leader in the clubhouse for appearances, and Manchester United fan. How are we doing, Levance? I'm doing well, Big Z. I'm doing well. I feel special to be on the second ever uh, soccer podcast for your show. So very, very honored to be on again. <laughs> Your poor Lakers, man. But we'll talk about the Lakers at the end of the episode. We'll do two minutes on the Lakers because it's worth talking about. But we're here to talk about your football club, as yeah. we soccer heads like to call it. So, More headaches. Oh, hey. hey. <laughs> you picked your team. And we're going to talk about how you picked United because every American soccer fan has kind of gone through that process of trying to pick their soccer team. I know a number of people in our group chat have been like, what soccer team do I root for? And everyone's made suggestions. You don't want to just jump into rooting for the best team or the second best team. Yeah. You pick someone who's don't like want to be a Darren. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you got to pick like a team that's 56, that's on the fringe of Champions League or Europa League. It, I don't know, but I got my team. I'm content. I, I rolled the dice well. I got a Champions League and a Premier League out of it. So let's start there. How did you pick United as your football club? Because for every American soccer fan, that picks a Premier League team, it's different. Yeah, of course. I, I know for me, I'd say I was in like eighth, ninth grade because I was I was playing FIFA for the first time. 
you know, and I actually saw how fun and addicting the game was. So, of course, you know, you start watching or playing, I should say, video games. And then, of course, it kind of translates because now you're familiar with the names. You're familiar with some of these players from the game. So when you hear it on SportsCenter, you, you know, happen to catch them in the World Cup or wherever the case may be. It's kind of like, oh, wow. So um, I have a, I've had a love for Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, he, he's, in my opinion, the greatest ever, my favorite player ever to watch. I know, you know, I, I've grown to appreciate Messi and his greatness. He is really on a different level, but there's just something about Ronaldo physically and, of course, skillfully, where he's just, I've never, you know, I, crazy, insane. Um, but I loved him when he was young and he was fresh and he was new on United and that's when they had some filthy teams that was towards the end that was the last real great team that um Sir Alex had had with you know him Wayne Rooney they had Carlos Tevez before he was on City you know then you still have a you know powerful midfield with Paul Scholes um they had a young Michael Carrick at that time uh you know they had Park who just turned 40 years old who was you know the engine guy doing all the little things Patrice Evra um Vintage and Ferdinand um you know so many star players I was watching a clip on YouTube and they were saying that 2008 Champions League team who won beat Chelsea in the PKs out of the starting 11 they had eight, nine world-class players on that pitch. Crazy to think about it all on top of having a world-class manager as well. So, you know, that, that was my first couple images of, um, you know, United, but I guess I got in at the wrong time because <laughs> that's when they just started, you know, to suck. <laughs> so I haven't really got to fully, fully experience uh, the triumphs, but I can say I've what I've been watching, especially since I've been very attentive the past, you know, four or five years, they have grown tremendously and they are starting to put the pieces together. I still think Ali is uh, the bridge to what we are going to be um, when we can start dominating, not only the Premier League again, but Europe again. But he has that foundation. He has the Sir Alex's, you know, building blocks to be able to get them to where they need to go. And, you know, like we talked about before we got on air, historically United has always built from their academy. And you're seeing that translate into now and you have guys like Marcus Rashford, um, Scott McTominay, Dean Henderson, you know, even Paul Pogba, you know, a lot of people he started at United before they sold him to Juve. So, you know, you're seeing that translation from the academy, the true bloodline of United and how they're playing, plus a, a manager who has played during those, you know, triumphs and he knows what it takes to win and how to win at that high level. So it's coming together, but they still have a, a long, long ways to go. So for the people who aren't as familiar with soccer, to kind of set the table, in English football, meaning the country of England, you're included. There are some teams that are in Wales and Scotland but that play under the arc. But in English, the English FA, there are six tiers of professional soccer. And then under that is amateur stuff. But in those six tiers, you go up to up. Then there's six total tiers of professional football. The Premier League is the highest tier. Within that highest tier, there are 20 teams in the Barclays Premier League any given season. The last three teams will go get relegated to the championship, and the top three teams in the championship will get promoted that given year. 
historically speaking, in the Premier League, there has been a big six since the Premier League, the modern Premier League, which began in 1992. Your big six being Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester United, Manchester City. Uh, are, who am I Chelsea. Chelsea, yeah. Chelsea, yeah. So those are your historic big clubs in the modern Premier League. Modern Premier League. Oil mines. Yeah, yes. The, <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit too because that is part <laughs> of the story. Because that's part of the United story as well is in this last generation, last 20 years, an outside source of funding coming in, do, taking a hostile takeover and not being afraid to throw money at their problems. And it's part of, I would say it's part, of a, it's, <laughs> it's, part of, it's part of a bigger problem that's systemic in football, not just English football, but that big six historically has been relatively speaking, the important teams in the premier league city is a later revelation last 10 to 15 years, Chelsea about the last 10 to 15 years, but for much of the nineties, it was Manchester United the 2000s were United and Arsenal. And this last decade, it's been City, it's been Chelsea, it's been Liverpool, the one Leicester City season. So United has always been considered one of the blue bloods of England because they've always had the money to be in play for these elite players. When Pogba became available three years ago now, they were ready to throw the bag at him. They've always been willing to spend. They've always been willing to go out and get marquee guys. They've been willing to pay for the big managers. They went and got Louis Van Gaal. They signed. They went and got Mourinho. They, David Moyes was there for eight months. <laughs> he, he got eight whole months right after Fergie. That was tough yeah. then, being Fergie's replacement. Yep, definitely. definitely. So when we talk about it in that context, you want to be, if you're in that top six, one of those top six teams, you want to finish in a Champions League spot. Champions League is the best clubs in Europe from all of the different leagues in one big competition. You get 64 teams in the Champions League, at least in the early stages. Then you get to your groups. But you want to get into one of those top four spots for a Champions League berth. I think it's five now. I think the Premier League gets five Champions League berths and then three Europa League spots based on the number of teams in their top tier, that kind of thing. So United has been trying to get back to European relevance. They've always, they've hung around in England. They haven't been as good as they were last decade, this past decade, but they haven't been an outright embarrassment. They've made a few Europa Leagues. They've gone relatively deep in the FA Cup. I mean, I'm thinking about some of the United teams this decade, some of the players on them, whether you want to talk about like Angel Di Maria, Falcao, when they brought in Van Persie towards the end. They've always been willing to try things. They've had some interesting combinations. I remember that first year where they had Van Persie, Falcao, and the very old Wayne Rooney still together. And that was a fun team to watch. It wasn't particularly good. And I think that's part of this story that we're going to talk about here is that they haven't really put a lot of attention into how the pieces fit. They've just kind of always been willing to go get pieces and then see what happened later. Alexis Sanchez, just throwing money at guys, Marcus Rojo. I'm just rattling all of the transfers in the back of my brain that are rattling around in there. And just like, they're trying, they're not working. But talk to me a little bit about how it's been from your perspective in terms of how they've tried to build the team because I think that's the lens for what makes United interesting to talk about is 
the former dynasty trying to recapture its glory. Yeah, I I feel like the the one thing that kind of starts things off is our board of directors, as you mentioned, are throwing money at players, trying to just big bring in the big name players. I feel the board is more fixated on making the brand of Manchester United, um, you know, more profitable than making the actual production of football not only more profitable but winning. You know, they don't have a system. They don't have a foundation that they're building off. So, you know, that's why bringing in Ali, who, again, has won, has been a part of United, understands what it takes to win at a high level, you know, inserting those academy graduates. You know, he's been very good at letting the youngsters play and letting them establish themselves. Mason Greenwood's another one that I haven't mentioned yet. Another academy star who killed it last year. It's been kind of quiet this year, but, you know, it's still a, a factor and will continue to develop into a factor. Um, you know, you have all of that to start and, and, and be a part of that solid foundation. And, of course, you have guys like Bruno Fernandez, who has been exceptional for them. Um, Paul Pogba has really turned it on since all of the transfer rumors and, and, and the talks from his agent and such. So you see things are starting to come together. Um, they have talent, you know, on that squad. So during training, they're able to actually sharpen and, and, and better themselves to improve. But they still are in that middle part where they're a good quality club, but they're not too the standing of where not only they should be, but for them to dominate. They're not on the level of the city or even, you know, Liverpool because they are still missing some of those pieces. They're still missing, I think, um, some of that dog mentality to take t chances, you know, rather than being so defensive or, you know, playing the counter, they need to have the upper hand. They need to hold and dominate um, possession, impose their will, be more clinical in front of goal and such. So that's what they're lacking. They're lacking a true center forward. They're also lacking a lot in defense. Um, David De Gea is a good goalkeeper, top 10, top 15 in the world. But, you know, I do like Dean Henderson, again, another academy graduate who has showing some promise. And again, De Gea is still, he, I know he signed a contract last season for I think three or four more years. So Henderson has time to grow and develop. But they, again, are trending the right way. They still have some signings they need to, to, to address to be able to start competing with the likes of City and, and, and Liverpool. So, I've noticed a lot that they often run into this problem where they have too many guys at one position and it often leads to someone just having not getting a chance to play. I know looking mm -hmm. through whether you want to talk about, you're constantly having to leave out one of either Matic, Fred, Pogba, Bruno, James, Rashford. Someone is always going to be left out because you have depth on your bench. And I, that's a good thing to have across all competitions. But for a team like United, that's still kind of on an upward trajectory. I feel like a lot of those younger guys just need repetition. They need to play as much as possible to just know what to do because, you know, playing for a team out on loan, playing Academy U18, U23 football is one thing, but you know, we always make the joke. Can they win at a wet Tuesday at Stoke? Yeah. And, and, and can they play United's way to win, you know? Yeah. Um, 
you know, the, the, the thing is with that, I, I think a perfect example is uh, Donnie Van de Beek. I love mm. him. But Bruno Fernandez is playing in front of him. You're not going to rest Bruno Fernandez when he's involved in over 30 of your goals that you've had this season. You know what I mean? And again, United being more of a defensive, not really more of a defensive team. They have been trying to, they've been doing better playing on the front foot, but, you know, they have a more safe structured formation where they have two holding midfielders in front of their back four. So it's hard to put Van de Beek there. Because in my opinion, what I've grasped on, because I've always was harping, like, you know, he should be playing above Fred. He should be playing above Fred. Why is Fred over him and whatnot? One, I'm not at training, so I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Donnie could be shitting the bed. Who, who, who knows? But I've also realized as I kept watching is, if you notice, because I've been following Van de Beek, still very young. When he was playing for Ajax over in the Netherlands and, they went on that run to the excuse me, when they went on the run to the Champions League semifinals, um, the two, three seasons ago. He was a key part, an integral part into that success. But he was more in an attacking role. So again, you're not going to put him in front of Bruno with how he's been playing since he's came here. Um, you can't put him in Fred's position because he's Yes, he can play that position. He has defensive attributes, but he still has, you know, he has more offensive attributes or attacking attributes than he does defensives. And I feel Fred is more of that team player dog mentality um, where he's going to go up and down the pitch. He's going to sweep and clean and do all the dirty things within the midfield to open up the attackers and allow the attackers and guys like Pogba and such, um, you know, to be able to roam and create that magic that they normally do. So it's hard. It's very difficult. But again, iron sharpens iron, you know? So now all these players, even the young ones, understand that I have to train. I have to be on top of my stuff if I want to be a part of this starting 11. And to, again, engrave that and have that as the foundation, that's going to be the basics now. You're going to come into training looking to play in the starting 11 because you have to fight for it. And if you have that mentality and you're practicing that way, it's going to translate to the pitch and it all trickles down from there. And then you start getting the quality of players to match that same work ethic. And now you have a dominating team imposing their will, not only in England, but in all of Europe. So again, it's a work in progress, but they're slowly but surely getting there. I mean, even as an outside observer who only watches United every now and then, you can definitely see the changes. There's definitely... Not, I don't want to say they have a ton of confidence, but there are they just do. they don't have a ton of confidence, but not they're not sitting on the back foot, they're not waiting for the impending doom like they used to, especially the Mourinho year and a half, where he would just sit 11 behind the ball and try and absorb as much pressure as possible. And it always felt like, well, we can't score, so we're going to try and win every game with just set pieces because we can't create any offense and we're going to play defense. Uh, it wasn't a sustainable way to play, but at least now they have a willingness to go forward to make runs. It does help they finally have had a little bit of injury luck. I know that's not saying a lot. Everybody has injuries in soccer. It, it's just the nature of the sport because it's so grueling because you're playing twice in a seven-day span. Uh, but they've had a little bit of injury luck this year. They're in really good shape this season in particular, the current season. 
and they're right there. I mean, they finished third last year. They, it's not like they had a bad year last year. They, they are, they're getting there. I think is a safe way to say it. I think yeah. you can say they're going in the right direction, and you see a plan. Yes, but there's still certain matches that you see where you're like, these are points that should have been taken advantage of. You know, uh, a nil-nil draw with Arsenal. You know, a 2-2 draw with Leicester City when you let in the match both times. Um, You know, early on in the season, another nil-nil draw at Old Trafford against Chelsea. Like, these are key valuable points that you're losing. You lose to Sheffield United at home. You know, valuable points that you're losing. It's Those are the things that separate good clubs or good seasons from winning the title. And in order for you to bridge that gap, you need to win those matches. So, again, yes, they're trending in the right direction, but they still have a long way to go because you have to be able to handle these teams to be able to win the Premier League, especially with how City, 19 unbeaten matches, and they don't have a true center forward, and Kevin De Bruyne hasn't played on a regular basis this season. Yeah, I was about to get to that, because when we talk about going in the right direction, you're ultimately looking at an impending doom of, well, if City's going to play 38 matches this season, they're probably going to win 34 of them, 33 of them. Can we match that standard where even if we don't beat them directly head-to-head, can we have a chance to win more games than them overall? And it makes for a real challenge. I mean, we saw it last year. We saw it two years ago, even more so. Two years ago is a better example, where Liverpool was in first place until about mid-January, and then they started to slide and City got rolling. But when you're trying to compare yourself to such a well-built team, such a deep team, a team with infinite resources, a team with a world-class manager, it's really difficult to judge how much progress your own team is making when City's, you know, the best team in the world on paper. But they can't get it done in Europe. That's the funny part. Yes. There's a huge (laughs) difference there. But, um, you know, even still exactly, like that is what you're comparing yourself to. That's the standard that you have to hold yourself to if you want to win. So it's either you do what it takes to get to that level or you're going to keep losing and not winning Premier Leagues, and that's not great. So, again, long way to go. (laughs) You know, very long way to go. Now, United can compete in the budget area, so to speak, but that's why I have that love for United because as much as they will go and drop 80 million pounds for Harry Maguire, you know, know, bringing in guys like, I mean, it was on a free transfer, but, you know, Cavani and whatnot. They have their academy kids who work and who grow and who have been blossoming. And if you look through the track record, not only this year, but again, the class of 1992 with Beckham, um, Gary and, and, and Phil Neville, Paul Scholes, you know, all those guys, it's, it's a tradition, you know, they build through their academy. So to have that at your side, very helpful because now again, you can build around that and add the pieces where you need to. And that's the best part, but there are some things, like I said, they they have to address their center forward, um, you know, situation. You need to have a, a clinical finisher 
who you know can get you at least 20 goals um, in, in a Premier League season so you could compete with City and Liverpool and such. You have to have a center forward to be able to not only defend against those um, clubs that I just mentioned, but also to be able to press and to be able to get higher up the pitch himself so you can get a, a better front foot onto the, the match and such. So, you know, those are little things that need to get addressed if they want to get there on top of being able to get consistency from the players that they already had. Marcia had a great season last year. He has been quiet all year. Mason Greenwood, again, the same thing. Granted, they are young and they're finding themselves, but consistency has to kick in. Marcus Rashford has been amazing. And I love the trajectory that he's going in. And he's going to be the centerpiece, I feel, that United should definitely start building around and whatnot. And, you know, there's some talks that they're trying to get Jadon Sancho. That would be lovely because they do, I feel, need another winger, you know, to create space from, you know, the wide side to allow more space for Bruno and Pogba to do what they want to do in the midfield. Um I heard maybe Holland because a lot of people don't know, but when Ali was in you know, Norway, um, he was managing there and he was managing um, Holland at a very young age. Cause of course, you know, he's Norwegian. So they have a little connection there. I did see something where he is trying to get him to come to United. Who knows how that happens, if that happens or whatnot, but again, a clinical goal scorer and he's been dominating the champions league so young and to be able to have that paired up with a Rashford and a Bruno Fernandez and a Mason Greenwood on your right like now we're talking you know what I mean Pogba back there like now we're, we we could start talking again defense still needs to be addressed too but that's that's a starter and, and that's the type of splash I feel that United are going to need if we want to be able to take that next step because Liverpool healthy is loaded Manchester City, let's be honest, with all the money that they spill into the club, loaded, and will continue to add as they please at their discretion. So it's a lot to keep up on. But of course, you want to focus on trying to get to that level on the pitch first. I do want to say, I think your better path is probably Europe than the Premier League first, just because of the nature of how the Champions League competition is, where you only got to win twice in two weeks every other month. I mean, the yeah. Liverpool team that won the Champions League was not better than the team that won the Premier League the year afterwards. In terms of talent, no, absolutely not. No, nope, they're the same team. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They, they weren't better. It's just they had the right team at the right moment. And it's part of why City has had a hard time in Europe is – Whatever it is about that given group of guys, they just haven't been able to get up for those moments. That the thing Klopp always talks about the mentality monster. Can you can you overcome what's in front of you? We've seen when City gets in those situations where they actually are the team that gets punched first, they don't really know what to do. I think they're not used to it. Exactly, exactly. And it's part of why they've had a hard time. I think for an extremely young team, I know they drew in the Europa League today and they're in shape to make Champions League next year. They're going based off of this year so far. Still a bit of time to go, but they should end up in a Champions League spot. I think that's ultimately your easier path to, I don't want to say relevancy because United's always going to be relevant, but I'll say a big trophy because an FA Cup, 
while nice is not on the tier of the other ones. But it would definitely be something because the last time United has won something was when they won the Europa League, I believe it was going on four or five seasons ago with Mourinho. Yeah. Um, going four or five seasons without a trophy is a lot for United, you know, at least with something. So it is definitely starters. But again, we have to get back to that standard where making the Champions League every year, getting that spot is automatic. Yeah. You know, and we have to do it again. And we were able to do it last year after a slow start. Now we have to keep it up. But again, this Sunday is a huge matchup for us because Chelsea has been gaining. They've been unbeaten in the last five or six matches. So they have confidence with their new uh, manager and such. I believe they're only a, a couple points behind us. The, the gap is starting to, you know, tighten. Spring is starting to come. So now we're really getting to the, you know, real nitty gritty of the season where every single match matters. This is this is literally it. And you're going to Stamford Bridge too. So, you know, this is one of those matches that we talk about where you separate yourselves from just being a good club to being a contender. You have to step up this match. You want to, at least because I personally think the, the title race is over. It is. I don't see City losing. Um, and if they do, I have a whole mouthful to give a lot of people. But either <laughs> way, um, you know, I don't see it happening. So in my opinion, what United need to do is, um, you know, let's get an FA Cup. Let's get a Europa League. And let's go and get this second, um, you know, spot to improve from last season from third to second and book ourselves back into the Champions League. And then with that, hopefully over the summer, we can get somebody else or a couple more pieces and we can start going the right way. But the thing is the pieces that we actually, you know, need and use. We can't just get another midfielder. Or, you know what I mean? Or, you know, uh, I perceive, I like the moves that they make. They bring in a lot of young guys and again, put them in an academy to groom them to play the United way. But we need one of those instant guys now. We need another Bruno Fernandes quickly. So, yeah, they've been, I know I've said it a number of times, but it's hard to describe how weird it was to just, when I was first getting into soccer, like, sophomore junior year of high school was like I I did the reading like I I started to try and give myself a bit of background some understanding and it was just like this is the Manchester United that won all those trophies because we're talking about like the the Ibrahimovic well Ibrahimovic was a little bit later but like we're talking about the Angel Di Maria, Falcao, Marcus Rojo that really weird mismosh team where they had like Valencia playing fullback they had Daly Blinn playing fullback, a yep. very weird amalgamation of talent. And it was just like, this isn't the Manchester United I've always read and heard about. And it takes a while. Coming to terms with the fact your dynasty is over is hard. I mean, replacing a manager like Sir Alex Ferguson is outright impossible. You're not getting someone on that tier because there's only a handful of those guys like in the history of soccer ever so when you're trying to replace a legend when you have all of that class trickle out over the years just by aging you have to kind of 
find yourself. You have to put yourself in those situations. And like you were just saying, making the Champions League every year is how you get better in the Champions League competition. Playing in those games on Tuesday and Wednesday against miscellaneous clubs from who knows what country, that matters. Playing those games against Belgrade, playing those games against CSK Moscow, those games, even against the bad competition, the environment is different. Playing the same team twice in a two-week span and then worrying about the aggregate score, it's different. You've got to put yourselves in those kinds of situations. And as United gets better, builds more confidence, they play more of these intense games like they're going to with Chelsea this upcoming weekend, it will get better. That's one of the things about having an extremely young team is they're inconsistent. It's what's frustrating about a young team is you see all of the potential there. When everything clicks and they all have their confidence, they know what to do. But because they are not experienced, they don't know what to do when they are way too high or way too low. They get a little too full of themselves going into a match and they fall flat or they have a particularly bad game and it carries over to the next game. That's one of those things about a young team that, as someone who watches every single game, you notice that, well, they had a really good game last time out, so they were a little too high on themselves coming into this game, and they didn't have any jump. They just kind of came back out and were like, we'll be fine, we'll figure it out. We were good last week. Exactly. And another cool thing is, of course, the further you go into the Champions League, the deeper you go, the more money that you make. So now your club is making more money, which you can use to bring in more stars. You know what I mean? So all of those dynamics come together and why it's important to qualify for the Champions League, why it's important to go deep into the Champions League, because it's not only, like you mentioned, beneficial for your players because they're going to be playing at the highest stages. They're going to be playing against the best players in the world. But now that attracts other players because they know, all right, this club is consistently playing at the highest of levels. I want to play for them. I want to take them over the top. And of course, too, money talks. The further you go, the more money you make. So it's always great to have an additional income, an additional profit coming in just because your club went far enough into the, into the tournament or even won the tournament. It's, the state of football in general is in a weird space where I know during the fall before this season resumed, there was talk about that European Super League, that kind of thing. We we understand that there is a clear class of teams that have money and teams that don't have money. And it's made for, I don't want to say an untenable situation, because you've had some other teams, aside from just City and Chelsea, win with their their uh, shady money, I'll call it, because Abramovich's money isn't like illegal or yep. like war criminal, but it's shady money. Shady money, we'll call it. But for the rest of the world, for the clubs like Liverpool, for the clubs like Tottenham, for the clubs like Everton that don't have infinite resources, we want to see more competitive matches week to week. We want to see other teams make a Champions League spot. We want to see – we just want to see more talent. The more talent there is – the better for everyone. The more quality teams there are, the better matches there are for everyone. Exactly. And again, it's repetition. Yeah. It's consistency. And once you're able to get your young players, your academy players to see this, this is the standard. 
that's all they're striving for. That's all they're working for. It's engraved in them and they know anything less is a failure. And United has proven to be like that, although they've had their up and downs in the history of the club. They've always came back to prominence and been able to, to do so. So to see the turnaround slowly coming, it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful, um, you know, definitely accomplishment for myself as a fan to have watched and seen the evolution of everything for them to eventually, you know, get to the promised land, not only in England, but in Europe as well, too. I mean, it's difficult. Like we've said at Nauseam, like you've heard from anyone who watches soccer, commentates about soccer, or writes about soccer, it's really hard to build a competent, quality team that can win 30, 29 games in a 38-game season while also fielding a team for the FA Cup, the Champions, the Champions League. You need a rotation now. It, it's not like it was back in the day where guys could play all three competitions and it really wouldn't bug them. I mean, United have decent depth around their team. They still, like you said, they need a, some version of a nine, whether it's a center forward, whether it's a true striker. They need another center back. They need to give Harry Maguire some help because the man just can't turn his neck. But Yeah, they need somebody with some more balance and speed because he's a very brute, strong guy. Um, but they need somebody to go off of him because, um, you know, a, another video I was watching too, a lot of people scold Victor Lindelof, Victor Lindelof, excuse me. Now he has been a horrible center back for United, but it could be because of the pairing of Harry Maguire. They don't mix very well together. You know, they don't work well off of um, each other. You know, if Victor was playing for say Liverpool, was he, if he was playing for City, would we still have this type of impression on him? Because he's in a different system, because he's working off of Virgil van Dyke or, you know, somebody else at City. So, you know, you need to have that balanced pairing. And I'd look at, you know, maybe the best pairing United ever had, which was Rio Ferdinand and Vidic, you know, worked off of each other, you know, both athletic, but I feel like Vidic was more of, you know, the... Uh, brute, aggressive tackler, you know, energetic, forceful defender, while Rio was the skillful one. Not only can he defend very well, but he can use his feet. He has those aerial skills because he was a tall guy, great with headers and such like that. They brought two different things to the table and were able to work and have that perfect blend within it. So they need to find somebody who could work off of McGuire. And if they do, because Harry's, I'm not going to lie, he's a quality defender. He's not quality bad. Quality defender, he's not, not bad. bad at all. Don't know if he's worth 80 euros, but he's still a quality defender. But again, you have to have that perfect balance, and that's what United are, or should be, at least in the market for. How do you feel about the style of play that United uses based on what players they have? Do you feel like based on what players they have, the way they play makes sense? Or do you think there are other things they could be trying, whether it's more of a, whether it's more of a press where they're trying to t turn the ball over the way Liverpool plays? Would you rather more link up intermediate style play the way City plays? Is there any other style you think is better suited for the type of players United have? 
Well, definitely. I feel like they should be more on the front foot. They should be taking more chances. They should be attacking more. When you have the likes of a Paul Pogba, where if you put him on that left you know, side of the midfield, he's a killer and he can attack and he does magic as we've seen, you know, glimpses of this year. Bruno Fernandez is, you know, insane what he's been able to do. You know, when Martial plays, he can be, you know, a factor. Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford, you know, they have attacking prowls to be able to make some noise. Um, that's why I feel like they should unleash it more. But at the same time, too, when you have a young team and you're trying to establish those fundamentals and that foundation, I understand and I can see why tactically you have to be a little more safe. You have to have those anchors, um, you know, holding down the midfield before you, you know, get ran on. You know, of course, I would love more um, link up playing. Bruno does a good job of that. You know, he's that, you know, man that they give the ball to and he's able to either create for himself or create for others because they're moving off of him. We need more of that. And again, that's why I feel it'd be also helpful to have that winger because if you're able to expand the pitch and give more spaces and more openings in that midfield, now you could really see the brilliance of a Bruno because now he has abundance of space. You're going to have to respect as the fullback or even as a center back too, the man who's coming off of, you know, the left wing on the right wing. You can't be in all spaces. And, and, and that's the beauty of soccer that I'm starting to learn where when you're able to attack like that and you're able to have a lot of more people in advanced positions, you have a lot of more attacking options. And now you have maybe some of your fullbacks running in and making in runs or, you know, Bruno again people feeding him the ball and they're making runs off of him or he's making runs off of them. You know, Marcus Rashford is a very good dribbler and he's able to create some space and create lanes and such like that. So, you know, to be able to have that is great. I feel when I watch United, it's very clogged in the middle because you have to man Mark Bruno. You know, if Paul Pug was healthy, you have to give him respect as well too. Again, like I mentioned, since United have a safe formation, they already have the two mid two holding midfielders excuse me there so it's very clogged they're able to space it out just a tad I think a lot of more goals can be scored but again you have to have the right pieces in and I think this is another reason why they have Ollie in to see what pieces are going to work what pieces fit and what the United way is and then from there they can build off of it do you think they play that conservative behind the ball style to absorb pressure because they don't trust the defense and that's why they play such a conservative formation and that's why they don't really press as much is that they want to make the defense's life easier because they don't trust it as much? I feel that it's because they understand and Ali knows that they have maybe one of the best counterattacking, um, you know, players in the world, one of the best counterattacks, period and not only English football, but world football. Again, those attacking names that I have mentioned, when they have the space and they're able to go on the counterattack, it's beautiful. And they've made some miraculous goals and plays off of it. So I feel that's why they say so conservatively, just so when they are able to retrieve possession and get on the front foot, 
now they get to go on and attack. Now they get to go and fill the lanes. Now you see Rashford making his moves, Bruno attacking, you know, Mason Greenwood coming in on runs and whatnot, such like that. So I feel that's their philosophy because it kind of, you could see a little bit of the remnants of Marino, Mourinho, where they used to sit back and go off on the counterattack. And it did work at times, but it's not United's way. They're used to being on the front foot, used to having lots of goals, used to attacking. So, again, they've gotten better off of it, but you can still see a little bit. And I feel, in my opinion, it's not because their defense, they don't have trust in their defense. I feel like they do to an extent, but I think it's mostly because they understand, okay, we have one of the best counterattacks in England. Let's use that to our advantage. Let's be safe. Let's be conventional. But when we have opportunities, let's use them and exploit them. One of the more th interesting things I've found throughout my journey through soccer, learning more about it, getting really invested in it, is all of the different styles of play and how they're suited to what types of players. Because I know to a lot of people, they look at soccer the way a lot of people look at hockey, where they don't really see a lot of the structure. They kind of just think it's a lot of passing to whoever's open. But a lot, a lot of that stuff you see on a soccer pitch every weekend or during the week it is planned. These guys know where they're supposed to go with the ball because they're playing a specific system. I mentioned Liverpool playing that hot high press where whoever has the ball for about five, 10 seconds, they got two guys swarming them trying to force the turnover. And if they don't force the turnover, they drop back off that guy and let them move. And then they do it again once the ball changes. Or if you're City, you're trying to absorb that pressure and corral guys into your midfield to force turnovers. And then you're slowly, incrementally building the ball up the field. And then each country has its own style, where you talk about Italian football, you talk about the Bundesliga, you talk about mm -hmm. La Liga. Every country has its own style of football within all those different systems. It's really interesting, just from a sports fan perspective, of there being so many different ways to do it. Because when you talk about the American sports, for the most part, there's only like two or three ways in each sport to do things. When you talk about football, there's only about four base offenses in the whole league that everyone is running a version of. Baseball, pretty much everyone is running on the same analytics package to make their decisions. Hockey is about three or four systems when you want to talk about scheme and that kind of thing. And basketball, it's about four or five systems. So the fact that there are just there's more variance and there's more ideas in soccer is one of the things that's pulled me towards it is that there's so much strategy, there's so much tactics, there's so much scheme. There's yep. just a lot to chew on. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And that's what's intriguing to me. Um, one good book that I read or I've been reading is Zonal Marking by Michael Cox. He has another one that talks about uh, the Premier League um, directly and from 92, the, the formation of the Barclays Premier League into eventually just the Premier League and such. Um, the different clubs in England, how they all put an impact onto uh, the way the EPL went and how different managers like Mourinho was able to have that solid defense and counterattacking. Somebody like Rafael Benitez with those Liverpool teams were really good at attacking overall and such. Of course, Alex Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson was able to, you know, make different United teams to kind of translate to the to the right time that they are in 
to be able to perform and, and when it was great but the book zonal marking is the same thing but with different countries so it talks about the netherlands and all around football from back to front and the italians with you know having that sweeper you know defender in front of their um you know back three and the defense and such so it's beautiful the game is so beautiful because there's so many different ways um even today when now you have the likes of city and and liverpool they have their fullbacks as attackers so instead of just having three up top now you kind of have five because you have your fullbacks coming up in there creating and you know, got guys like uh, Trent Alexander coming crosses and, you know, Robertson, same thing. Uh, what is his name? Canelo, I think his name is for, for City. Now. Yeah, yeah. You know, he had a, a great showing just yesterday in their Champions League leg. So, you know, just how Pep and, and, and Klopp and, you know, the rest of the great managers in Europe are able to just make that switch or, add that little wrinkle to be able to make it that much harder for somebody else to defend against you. It's beautiful. You know, same thing with the press, how an effective press can literally strangle and choke your opposition because they can't move the ball. They're always turning it over. They're always sped up and just in distress. It's like the same thing, a press in basketball. They speed you up. They trap you. They make you turn the ball over it translate into soccer. Now, of course, it's crazier because the pitch is huge, but to see the dynamic, I love it. It's my second favorite sport after the ball right now, man. And one of the other things that you touched on in there is that we're seeing in every sport now is basically the movement towards positionless sport where one guy can do not everything, but you mentioned Trent and Andy Robertson. We talk about the guys in the NBA who can guard any position. We talk about the hybrid guys in football who play like safety linebacker or the guys like Taysom Hill who do a little bit of quarterback, running back, wide receiver. We're slowly but surely seeing that across every sport that they teams want guys who can do multiple things in one position and because it gives them an element of surprise. It gives them an advantage on the other team where – I know I've read in more than one book about football strategy, American football, that is. A lot of people think the next big innovation is going to be having two quarterbacks on the field at the same time, for the most part, that kind of thing, where you're basically always going to have at least two guys who can make a forward pass. And we're seeing it in soccer with fullbacks who can attack and be part of the attack. We see it in basketball with guys like Ben Simmons who are point guards but can defend anywhere in the lineup as the primary ball handler because they have so much size and athleticism and it's making sports a lot more fun to be honest there's never been more creativity there's never been more innovation and we're getting awesome results out of it exactly and, and like you mentioned too it really comes down to skill when you look at basketball you have to have the skill you have to be able to shoot or you're not playing you know, same thing with soccer. And, and you've seen the evolution of it. You know, if you look at the early 90s, um, you know, another thing that I picked up on these Michael Cox books were defenders primarily were defenders. <laughs> they would just sit there, big brute guys. They're knocking you over. They're heading the ball. They're clearing the ball. That's it. Now you see the evolution and you see guys like Virgil van Dyke, who not only can do all of that, but again, has the foot skills to be able to move the ball up the, up the pitch. 
to be able to get you on the front foot, to be able to create, to be able to hit a diagonal pass, you know, to a winger or whatnot and put them into an attacking position. Just you see the ongoing evolution of the game. And again, you, you have to adapt. It's killed or be killed. So you have to be able to switch your tactics, switch your formations and as players, evolve yourselves, be able to do more, really get the skill honed in on the craft, you know, to be able to survive. We've already done about 45 minutes, so I'm going to get the people out of here to go enjoy their weekend in a minute. But while I've got you here, we do got to talk about the Lakers for one minute because okay. I'm well, not here. I'm not that worried about them. I, I, we, I know I've talked with Trevor about this. I've talked with you about this. It's not about the regular season for them. As long as they make the playoffs, they'll be fine. They can win on the road. They don't need home court. It's just a matter of how healthy AD is whenever he comes back from his leg injury. Exactly. Listen, I get it. We're the champs. There's no excuses. I totally get all that. But at the end of the day, two of our most influential players, Dennis Schroeder, who is a third option, crazy to think, the sixth man of the year, um, I, I think no, no, he wasn't even the sixth man of the year, but either way, a solid player like him is the third option behind AD, who is classified as a top five player and, you know, LeBron. So you don't have Dennis or AD. You have Bron. Yes, you still have a great squad, a, a great team there, but you now have to be able to fend for the losses that you had. Plus, on top of that, being the defending champs, you're getting the best out of the best from every team you play because you're the defending champs. They want to beat the crap out of you. It is what it is. They want to make a point. They want to make a statement. I'm not going to sweat. <laughs> I'm not going to worry because one thing I've respected LeBron on is when it's time to turn up, he's there. I'm not going to say in the clutch, but for the reporting games and such, like when he needs to be active, he he's active, you know, and the perfect example for people are like, oh, well, well, what does he do if he's not in the clutch? I'll never forget when he was with the Heat, that game six, they were down 3-2 and he went off. He had like 45 points, 15 boards, like had that, that famous meme where he looked possessed and he yeah. was sitting bent over. So it's like, when those games need to happen, like, he's fit for it. AD has proven that he can be there for those games as well. So, bro, I'm, I could really – I could give a damn. I'd much rather them go – have them go on a – excuse me. Have them go on a 10-game <laughs> losing streak in February, okay, before the All-Star break. And it's crazy to think they're on, what, a four-game losing streak and they're still, I think, third or fourth best record in the league. They only have 11 or 12 losses. So I'll take it. It is what it is, bro. Let them shake it all out now. Uh, we're on the same page. I, I am of the same opinion that as long as AD's calf injury heals fine and Schroeder comes back, they're fun. As long as AD's good to go come playoff time, I'm not worried about the Lakers. It's still, I'm not going to say it's still the Lakers title to lose because that is dependent upon AD's leg. But yeah, the Nets are crazy. The Nets are also very crazy. That that that's another story for another day. Yeah. We we the might jazz have to, too. We might have to do an NBA roundtable soon. Um, I am I'm here for it. We can have a lot of fun with that. Um, yes, sir. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. I'll I'll see what we can cook up in the group chat. Levant, thank you so much for joining me today. This was fun. It's always good to talk, and it's good at talking soccer. It's been too long. I don't hang out with Carl anymore, so I got no one to talk soccer with. I'm very here for it, very fit for it. Thank you, Big Z, for having me. Shout out my boy, Germ, at TAS Sports as well. My son, Big Z, been holding it down. Thanks for having me again, bro. Talk soon. Absolutely, LeVance. Everyone, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the basketball. Enjoy the hockey. Conference tournaments are starting next week in college basketball. We're not that far away from March Madness, believe it or not. We're getting to that sweet spot of the sports calendar where pretty much every night there's going to be something very fun to watch, and I could not be happier. I will see you guys on Monday. Look out for a Rangers blog on Gotham SN sometime Friday during the day. Not sure what time of day it'll go up, but it will be going up as soon as I'm done editing the podcast here with LeVance. I'm going to go finish up that blog so it can be ready to be published. See you guys on Monday.